the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Five zero baby. W two sixty two CP Bayonet Point. WTBN Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now you may think. I'd never lie. David had a blatant lie, but I would never do that. I'm a born-again Christian. We don't lie. You know what? That's, that's not true. I mean, it's true. You may be born again, but it's not true. We don't lie. How about not telling people that we're believers in Christ in witnessing situations? How about that? How about being so afraid of what a non-Christian might do that they might reject you that you don't speak up for the Lord? That's lying. Or afraid at work or afraid in some relationship to do something that's right because it might have a consequence. You might lose money. You might lose uh, friendship. All of those things are lies because of fear. I just saw an old Leave it to Beaver show that was a great illustration of how fear can lead us to lie, even to those we love. The Beaver's teacher gave him a note to take home to his mother. Even though he had no idea what the note said, he was afraid that it was bad news, so he pretended to lose it for a couple of days. Eventually, he got his big brother Wally to help in the deception by typing a return note to the teacher, pretending to be his mother. The note assured the teacher that both mother and father would give the beaver the beatings he deserved. The more the beaver tried to lie his way out of his mother finding out about his ominous envelope, the more absurd the situation became. All the time, Mrs. Cleaver had no idea anything was going on until she got a summons to talk to the principal. Finally, the cat was out of the bag, and the beaver and his mother both learned that his teacher wanted his mother to know that he had been chosen to play Smokey the Bear in the class play. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For over 27 years, Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside, and these radio Bible classes extend that ministry to a wider audience. Little Theodore Cleaver's unfounded fears led to some amusing situations. Sadly, our reactions to fear that our Savior is not really loving and omnipotent lead us into situations that are not in the least bit amusing. Today, Pastor Steve will be continuing his three-part message on fear as we learn about the life of King David. Our main texts are 1 Samuel chapters 20 and 21, as well as Psalm 34. Now, here's Pastor Steve. How about this, fear of losing a loved one? How about fear of dying ourselves? Remember, the same David, who is so fearful now, once wrote this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Even though death surrounds me, I'm going to trust you because you're with me. How about the fear of being alone? Uh, There are many who fear never getting married and live a life alone. 
And yet they've come out of families that uh, they see mom and dad who love each other and it's a warm family and they think, can I, can I live by never, never marrying? Uh, you can if that's God's plan for you because Jesus said, I'm with you always. You're never alone. Never alone. So there are many other fears that we face, but, but God has an answer to them. And what if you can't think of a specific verse in the Bible that answers your specific fear? Then you know what you do? You turn, as I ask you to do now, to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. If there's no specific verse that you can think of to relieve your fears, there may not be a specific uh, reference in the Bible to your specific problem, but you're really struggling with something, you're afraid you're fearful or you're worried, which is a, uh, uh, a very close relative of fear. They get together often. They have parties together. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. One that we've heard so often, I'm afraid that, that we, don't, we don't really let it grip our hearts and meditate on it, how wonderful this, this verse is. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not, I repeat, do not lean on your own understanding. See, you may not understand what God's doing in your life. You got it all planned out, and it's not going the way you, you planned it out. You may not understand what God's doing at this point and uh, why it appears that everything is falling apart in your life. But you have to come to grips with the fact and the truth that God has brought about these circumstances and that he's in control. And that what you may think is best may not be best. And you can't understand it. And that's all right, because this verse says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. God is God. Isn't that profound? They pay me to say things like that. But God is God. He's in control and he has a purpose for it. And you need to believe that either either God is a liar or he's not. You need to trust him for that, that his ways are always right. Some of us get very concerned. We can't figure God out. It's got to go the way we think it has to go, because. We think it has to go that way. God doesn't work that way. When he doesn't do what we think he should do, we get afraid. Because we've lost the perspective that God is sovereign, God is loving, and God is always right. I hope that you, you that registered with you. You know who, what character in the Bible lost that perspective? Eve. Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, it's a great passage of scripture. Remember Satan came and tempted Eve, I, I want you to see a pattern here. He came and tempted her. In chapter 3, verse 1, says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The first thing he did was he put doubt in her mind. First doubt. Has God really said this? And, and that's what we're tempted to believe. Is this really truth from God? Is this really what he has said? Maybe I misinterpreted. Maybe the Bible's not really the word of God. Maybe this isn't what God means. Maybe it applies to everybody else but me. First doubt. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the tree of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely, uh, you surely shall not die. First, there was doubt. Now there's denial. No, God may have said this, but you, but you will not die because God's word is not true. And that's how a temptation comes to us. Yes, I know it's in the Bible, but how do I know it's really true? How do I know the Bible? That, no, it's not true. 
It's not true. No, this isn't the way it is. And then notice what happened. Verse 5, Satan went on to say, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You know what he did? First he brought doubt, then denial. Now he destroys God's character. Listen, he's saying, God knows that if you eat, you'll be like him. You know what? God really doesn't care that much about you. He's holding something back from you. He doesn't want you to enjoy all the benefits of life. And I really think that's where some of us are at. We really don't believe that God has our best interest at heart. And it's because we're not trusting him, that he's sovereign. We think if, he's, if he goes off on a plan that doesn't fit our plans, we, we don't trust the Lord. We really don't believe that God has our best interests at heart. He's causing me to miss out on something. He's causing me not to, to do what I really most enjoy doing. And so we get fearful and we take matters into our own hands. So the word of God to us says, stop leaning on your own understanding. What seems best to you may not be best. You've trusted Jesus Christ. Most of you have, have trusted Jesus Christ alone for your eternal salvation. Can't you trust him in life? Don't be like David. Your eyes are off the Lord, fearful, afraid that your life is going to be taken because you're not trusting God. If it's God's will that, that David's life was to be taken or your life is to be taken or something's to happen in your life, then it's God's will. His will is most important and he'll give you the grace for everything. So what is the cause of fear? It's simply a, a lack of trust in the Lord. We've got to remember and get back to who is God. The Almighty knows what's best. And you know what? When you, when you do not trust in the Lord like you should, it affects the way we live. It isn't isolated. It isn't just a doctrine that has no bearing on life. So we move from the cause of fear to the second principle, the conduct of fear. When we're fearful, how do we behave? Uh, how do we conduct ourselves? You want to know how we conduct ourselves? We usually take matters into our own hands. We scheme and we connive and we uh, come up with all kinds of ways to solve our own problems rather than letting the Lord deal with them. We tend to leave God out of the equation and that is precisely what David did. From 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 5, all the way to the end of chapter 21, David comes up with three schemes. Three schemes to try to solve his, his problems. It's all human strategy. And uh, I want to go through these schemes to show you how absolutely ridiculous they are. Scheme number one, chapter 20, verses 4 through 7. We'll just kind of pick and choose here. It's a narrative. We don't have to read every single verse. Verse 4, then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. So David, this is the same conversation. David says, your dad's going to kill me. Jonathan says, no, he's not. So Jonathan says, whatever you say, I'll do. So David said to Jonathan, behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I ought to sit down to eat with the king, but let me go that I may hide myself in the field until the third evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, because it's in the, it is the yearly sacrifice there for the whole family. If he says it's good, your servant shall be safe. But if he's very angry, know that he has decided on evil. Now, this is scheme number one. David wants to determine Saul's intentions. See if he's angry with him or not. If he's angry, that's not good. He's going to kill. He's going to try to kill him. If he's not, then that's fine. He'll come back. Now, you might think, well, what's wrong with this plan? 
This was a good plan. It, it, it worked, didn't it? Well, there are two things wrong with this. And, uh, and I'm going to deal with this whole issue later of did it work? Yeah, it may have worked, but it was wrong. And it's wrong for two reasons and two things that we tend to do when we scheme. Number one, it left God out. David never, there's no indication he ever prayed about this. No indication that God is involved in this at all. He just comes up with the scheme on his own. It's just human strategy without God. It's just using the old brain to figure out something that sounded good, but it was wrong. It left God out. That's number one problem. Number two problem, I don't know if you caught this, he lied. He wasn't going to Bethlehem. He said, you tell your dad if he asks, I'm in Bethlehem with my family and we're sacrificing. He wasn't in Bethlehem. He was hiding in the fields. He lied. You see, when fear begins to govern your life, there's a tendency to try anything, even if it means lying, to solve our problem. We can become deceptive. We can become uh, misleading. Our sinful minds can justify just about anything. I'm sure David could have said, well, I plan to go to Bethlehem next week. So what difference does a few days matter? Or he could have said, uh, what Saul doesn't know won't hurt him. After all, it's for a good cause. It's called my life. He might have said, you know, it's for his own good. King ought not to be killing uh, his son-in-law. That's not good. He, he might have done that. Be careful about being deceptive and misleading. It's wrong. It is always wrong to lie. The Bible says God cannot lie. It is a sin to lie. Ephesians 4 verse 25 says that we are to speak truth to one another. We are never to lie. There is never a justification for that. And once you begin to tell what you might think is a little white lie, which is wrong. Remember, Christ died for little white lies. Once you do that, it's going to be a lot easier to tell blatant lies. And that's where David's headed. So that's scheme number one. Scheme number two it says, by David's scheme, he was able to discover, the first scheme, he discovered that Saul did intend to kill him. We jump down to verse 24. And remember, he said, Jonathan, you go see what Saul's reaction is. Well, here's his reaction. So David hid in the field, verse 24. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. So he would have his leaders all around him. And they had a calendar based on the new moon. That's why that uh, takes place at this time. And the king sat uh, on his seat as usual, the seat by the wall. Then Jonathan rose up and Abner, that's uh, his general, sat down by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not speak anything that day, for he thought it's an accident. He's not clean. Surely he's not clean, meaning ceremonially he's not clean. And it came about the next day, the second day of the new moon, that David's place was empty. So Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan then answered, uh, Saul, David earnestly asked, leave of me to go to Bethlehem. For he said, please let me go since our family has a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to attend. And now if I have found favor in your sight, please let me get away that I may see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan. And he said to him, uh, not very nice words, I might add. He said, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Therefore, now send and bring him to me, for he must surely die. 
But Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him down. So Jonathan knew that his father had decided to put David to death. I would say that's a good indication that this guy is mad. And it's also a good thing that Saul was not particularly very good at throwing javelins. You know, missed David a number of times, missed Jonathan. But obviously now he knows that Saul intends to kill David. That's his intent. So David uh, flees. He, he, he now is basically on the run for the next 10 years. You need to understand that. Now he, he's confirmed in being a fugitive and he's on the run. And the first place he comes to now that he's an official fugitive is a city about six miles away called Nob, N-O-B. And there are a number of priests there. We learn from chapter 22, there are um, 86 priests there. The tabernacle is there. The tabernacle is, is there, and so there were some sacrifices. A very secluded area, very quiet. Uh, they had no weapons, the story goes on to say, because they didn't need them. Who would bother the priests? Nobody bothered priests. In fact, the only weapon there is Goliath's sword. It's probably kept as a trophy case there. And uh, David comes there, so he moved to chapter 21. It's still the second scheme. You're going to see what he did. Then verse 1, then David came to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest, and Ahimelech came trembling to meet David. He thought there was trouble. And he said to him, why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech, the priest, the king has commissioned me with a matter. And he said to me, let no one know anything about this matter on which I'm sending you and with which I have commissioned you. And I have directed the young men to a certain place. Now, Ahimelech is surprised to see David alone. Why are you here alone? Usually you're surrounded with troops. Why are you here alone? You know what David says? He said, Saul sent me on a secret mission. Now, that's a blatant lie. He's gone from, from deceptiveness now to a blatant lie. Saul hadn't sent him on a secret mission. David panicked. He panicked. And he said, yeah, and, and the troops who were with me there, I, I sent them off to another place. That's, that's just a blatant lie. He's lying again. David went on to ask for food and for a weapon, but then he discovered something that he hadn't counted on. Verse 7 of this chapter says, Now one of the servants of Saul was there that day. David didn't think anybody else would be there. Detained before the Lord, and his name was Doag the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds. He's a spy. And eventually David knows that this man, Doag, is going to go back to Saul and say, David is here, and that's exactly what's going to take place. And I'll tell you uh, the consequence of that a little bit a little bit later. But David at that point flees and he and he runs away. He runs away. Now you may think, I'd never lie. David had a blatant lie, but I would never do that. I'm a born-again Christian. We don't lie. You know what? That's that's not true. I mean, it's true you may be born again, but it's not true we don't lie. How about not telling people that we're believers in Christ in witnessing situations? How about that? How about being so afraid of what a non-Christian might do that they might reject you that you don't speak up for the Lord? That's, that's, that's lying. Or afraid at work or afraid in some relationship to do something that's right because it might have a consequence. You might lose money. You might lose a, a friendship. All of those things are lies because of fear. The fear of man, Proverbs says, brings a snare. It brings a trap. It traps you. That's a very, very dangerous situation because you're no longer free to obey God. You're more concerned about the consequence of what might happen in, in speaking the truth than in doing what's right. So that's a real problem. There's another scheme. Scheme number three. David's third scheme 
ir, uh, indicates how irrational and bizarre fear can drive us. Chapter 21, verse 10. Then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they dance, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousand? You know what this is. Out of panic, David now leaves Israel and he goes to the Philistine country. Gath is the home, I guess it was the home of Goliath. But he's, he's counting on the fact that it happened a while back and now he's matured a little bit. And nobody's going to recognize him, how wrong he was. When he gets there, they say, isn't this David who killed so many of our people? And now he's really in trouble. And now he's fearful that Achish, the king of Gath, is going to kill him. So look what he does. Verse 13, so... Um, it says in verse 12, let's look at that. And David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. I mean, if you've killed all, a lot of his people, you've got to be fearful, I guess, if you're not trusting the Lord about Gath. So look what he did. He disguised his sanity before them. He acted insanely in their hands, scribbled on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva run down into his beard. Isn't that appetizing? Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen that you brought this one to act the madman in my presence? So, so this one come into my house? David pretends to be mentally insane. He scribbles something on the door. He lets saliva run down his beard. That's a pathetic picture of the man God said is a man after my own heart. Think about that. Achish knows that, that, that David has stood for, the, for Jehovah. And now he's a, he's a lunatic. Or acting like one. And Achish basically says, I I've seen enough. I don't I have enough madmen in my kingdom? I need one more? Get rid of this guy. Who wants him here? I need a Jewish madman. I got so many Philistine madmen. Get rid of him. So now someone, and here's the application for us. Someone may look at this. In fact, uh, many believers may look at this and say, you know, I don't see these schemes as big problems. And the reason I don't see them as big problems is because every scheme worked. Didn't David escape injury? You know what he did? He lived. He lived to tell about it. He escaped unharmed. But you know what that is? And listen very carefully. This is called situation ethics. You let your situation determine your behavior. I know a lot of believers who, who they may not know that it's called that, but that's how they live. If it gets them out of a rough situation, you can lie, they think. Adjust your ethics to fit the situation. After all, the most important thing is that I escape. Or I say something that sounds loving, even if I don't mean it. That type of thing. Folks, listen. Christians are not supposed to live by situation ethics. The Bible tells us how to live by the highest of morals and ethics. And once you allow ethics or situations to dictate your conduct, then you might as well throw the Bible away. The Bible is not your authority. God is not your authority. You become your authority. Your situation becomes your authority. Then, then you go back to the days of the judges and every man did that which was right in his own eyes because there was no king. Recent surveys show that most Americans, especially those in their 20s and 30s, do not believe in absolute truth. So when we find ourselves in fearful situations, lying is easier than ever. So it is no wonder we live in such a mess. I hope you can join us for the next verse-by-verse verse for a discussion about the cure for fear. 
Verse by Verse is a radio Bible class taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse is an extension of his 27-year teaching ministry, and it's produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. With some thoughts about why and how you might help with these programs, here is Pastor Steve. I'm Pastor Steve Kreloff with a special message about why people like you choose to support Verse by Verse with their prayers and financial gifts. It's my hope that you're encouraged in your faith and strengthened spiritually through the teaching you hear on Verse by Verse. If you've been blessed through Verse by Verse, please consider supporting this ministry with prayer and your financial gifts. You can call 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714. Or drop us a line at P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That's P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. Thank you. You can learn more at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Besides information on giving, we have hundreds of audio lessons available, including this one. To get a CD or a cassette with the entire message from which today's class came, please call us at 727-239-0306. Leave your name and a phone number, and we'll call you back during regular office hours so that you can place your order. Perhaps you have given in to fear, and it has led you to abandon your moral... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.